So, Philippians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, If you don't, the words will come up on the screen. Uh, We started last week this letter to the Philippians. So, let me remind you that uh, every one of Paul's, the books that Paul wrote are not books, they're actually letters. And uh, they're written in prison, so he's got a lot of time on his hands, right? And so he's writing these letters, and, and think about your own life, uh, uh, if and when you use pen and paper now, uh, think about writing a letter. Um, there's no copy and paste or edit. Uh, this is free-form stream of consciousness writing, which means he'll go over a variety of subjects and he, it may feel like that he's jumping and backtracking on something he's already said, but he's doing it for a reason because he's really wanting to double down on that and wanting to dig into it. But we have added uh, the chapter and verse, and I don't mean we as restoration, we did not do that, but, uh, but, but, but over church history, we've organized it in such a way that we can refer to it. But just know, this is a guy writing a letter to a group of people. Who were this group of people? If you remember, we said last week that somewhere between 58 AD, 62 AD, around that time, we'll just hit it in the middle and say, 60 AD, this letter was written to the church at Philippi. It's a church that Paul, along with some of his friends, Silas, Timothy, they were a part of planting this church in Philippi. And now... Paul is in prison, we'll hear this morning that he is bound in chains, probably in Rome, and he's pinning this to people that we saw, remember, in verses 1 through 11 last week, people he dearly loved. In fact, he's like, man, I have the affection for you that is like the affection of Jesus. And remember what we said about the affection of Jesus? What did the affection of Jesus feel like? To the death. So he literally loved them to death. And he's like, man, I love you guys so much. Every time I think about you and and, and pray for you, I pray with great joy. So this is a group of people that he loved so, so much. And then he said this, he's like, hey, we're in the same boat, we're on the same mission, and here's what I'm praying for you. Remember, Philippians 1, 6 was kind of our center focus last week, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And remember what we said about that? What we said was that until the day of Christ Jesus means until the day that Jesus is coming back, they believed that he was coming right back, and now we know 2,000 years later, we don't know when he's coming back, but we know that it's imminent. And so we've got to live with a sense of urgency. But what he says is, and you are not complete until Jesus returns. So what does that say to you? You are a work in progress. You have not arrived. For some of you, this hurts your sensibilities, right? Because you're like, I'm pretty awesome. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but you haven't arrived. You are completely incomplete until the return of Jesus. And what he's saying is, listen, God has begun a good work in you. And so hear this for you today. God has begun something in your life. Your Ephesians 2.10 calling before the foundation of the world, he designed you with purpose, for a purpose, on purpose, and he wants you to be getting to it. But know this, none of us are fully living into our calling because we're a work in progress. And every day as we get in the secret place, he is chipping away at our resolve because he is creating something that will be complete either the day we die or the day that Jesus returns, whichever comes first. And then he, he, call, he called them at the end of the chapter to more. He said, I'm praying for more love for you. I'm praying that you would understand the word of God more. I'm praying that you would have more depth of insight to the mission that God has called you to in your life. And so you're saying, hey, listen, you're a loving bunch, right? We're huggers at restoration. And so, man, I think on the surface, we love people pretty well. But you know what what Paul was saying to them and what God is saying to you? There's more. There's a next gear. There's a next level Taking love past just giving a hug and investing and being engaged in other people's lives and saying, man, I'm praying for more love. I'm praying for more understanding of his word. I'm praying for more depth of insight to the life that you've been called to live. So Paul's playing coach here, right? 
He's coaching them up, saying, listen, we're in this together, and I need you, and you need me. We need each other to accomplish the mission of seeing the way of Jesus spread to the world. And so today, the key verse that we're going to camp on is Philippians 1.21. You've probably heard it before, where he says, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yikes. I mean, so every week, you know, when I get to Monday, I'll read through the passage and just begin to think about it and, and just kind of let it marinate in my life. Somebody told me that I used the word marinate in the first service. And then I, at some point, mentioned that I, we want God to fillet our hearts. And they're like, man, you have not eaten in a while, have you? Right? So, so here's this whole idea. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I've been thinking about it all week. And, and here was the question that I came to. Who talks like that? You know, I mean, it's a great sentiment, but, but how many of us could really say, listen, for me to live, my life is completely in control and under the authority of Jesus. But you know what? If I were dead, it would even be better. Can you really say that? I mean, I, I think that we all kind of want to say that. And as far as of Jesus, if I asked you for a show of hands, some of you would throw it up proudly like, yes, that's me. And it's probably not. And, and most of us would be shy about raising it like, wait, is this one of those things where I'm going to get called out if I don't raise my hand, right? But here's the reality. We all want more of Jesus, right? We, we all, in, in a perfect world, Jesus is a great idea. But where the rubber meets the road is how is your life being rearranged and repurposed for the purposes of Jesus? Because those are two different things. And then the whole idea of man to die would be better, that just doesn't register with me, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I want more of Jesus but I want my stuff, <laughs> right? I, 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 wanna, I want more of Jesus in my context, right? I want Jesus, but don't take my stuff away. I, I want my Jesus, but I want advancement in my career. I, I, I want more of Jesus, but I, I really want to be surrounded with the things that make me happy. Does that resonate with anybody else? I mean, I, I'm telling you that that's literally how I feel. That, man, I want more of Jesus, but um, also want a lot of me. So what does a life look like that completely belongs to Jesus? He's going to answer that today. And what does it look like to not fear death? So if I asked for a show of hands today and said, how many of you are afraid to die? If you're being honest, probably 90% of the room, your hands will go up, Right? Nobody wants to die. And it's probably not just that you don't want to die. It's the thought of, well, qualification, how would I die, right? <laughs> you know, you're, you would always want that follow-up question. But, but here's Paul, who we know experienced a lot of hardship. And he says, listen, I'm not afraid of death. In fact, death would be gain for me. And here's what we'll find today. To fear death is to not really live. To fear death is to not really live. It's, it's to hold back in some way, to play it safe in some way, to say, ah, oh, death seems like, you know, that's just really final and I'm not quite ready for that because I've got some stuff that I wanna accomplish first, right? I remember William Wallace in Braveheart. Uh, if, you, if you haven't seen the movie, okay, it's time, right? Uh, but there is one scene where he's on a horse and he's riding back and forth. He's rallying the troops. How many of you have seen that? Have seen the scene? Yeah, most of you. All right, so, so he's going back and forth and, and, and he's, he's, you know, he's rallying them and getting them to this fever pitch. And he says something at one point that just penetrates your heart. He says, all men die but few men really live. All men die, but few men really live. And so the question is, what does that look like in the life of a follower of Jesus? So uh, we'll get some insight as we walk through the passage. Philippians chapter one, we're gonna start with verse 12 and go through verse 26. So starting with verse 12, 
Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Okay, so several things. Um, first, he addresses his situation. He starts, he starts out by saying, hey, I want you to know that what has happened to me. So they know, the church of Philippi knows that he's in prison. In fact, we'll see later in the book that they have sent him provisions, right, to make sure that he's got what he needs while he's in prison. And so he's addressing that. Listen, I want you to know what has happened to me. I've been imprisoned for preaching and following the way of Jesus. And he says, I want you to know that being in prison has actually done the opposite of what they intended. It's advancing the gospel. Yes. What? Yes. That what they intended is not working. It, it, it reminds me of the words of Jesus in John 2.19. Uh, remember, he goes in and turns over the tables in the temple and, and he's really frustrated because they've made it, you know, a, a place of business. And, and, and so they challenge him. And what does he say? He says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. What is he saying? Hey, death ain't the final word for me. Amen. And if you try to push me down, I'm only going to get stronger. Amen. I think about Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph's proclamation to his brothers. And hey, what you meant for evil, God is using it for good. Amen. I think about our go-to that we tell people every time someone close passes away in their life, Romans 8, 28, right? Hey, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I would encourage you, you may not wanna say that when somebody passes away um, because that just kind of feels a little trite sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's true that God takes your worst day and will use it for his glory and his purposes. Amen. But it's all about perspective. Yes. When you are in Christ, all things are opportunities for God to get glory. So God uses the rod of Aaron. Remember Moses' rod that he used? He uses his rod. He uses David's sling and he uses Paul's chains in order to accomplish his purposes. 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul says this. He says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. He's like, hey, listen, you can chain me up all you want, but God's word is gonna continue to go forward. I'm in chains but God's word is not. Man, what great perspective. And then he says, it is moving throughout the palace guard. That word has gotten out that I am in chains, not of my own doing, but because of Jesus. So think about this. Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And every six hours, there was a chain, change. And so think about that. He's got four opportunities a day where they think he's captive, they actually become a captive audience. And Paul's like, listen, I'm sharing with them four times a day, every six hours, I got some new fresh meat in here that I get to share the gospel with. And so while they think, hey, you're imprisoned, he's inviting them to step out of their prison into freedom. And word has gotten out. So when I think about that, I think about Jonathan Hockmeyer. So Jonathan Hockmeyer uh, was a part of our body, and I think it was early 2017, maybe it was late 2016, moving into 2017, either that or 2017, moving into 2018. I don't really remember. Here's what I remember. Jonathan was a former addict who had spent some time in prison, and he was out, and he and his girlfriend at the time, now his wife, they were coming to restoration on a regular basis. He had a setback, and because of that, he violated parole, and he calls me one day to say, hey, pastor, you don't really know me, but uh, I just wanted you to know that I'm going back to prison because I violated my parole. And I'm like, well, is there any way around it? Nope. Wow. He said, I just want you to be praying. I said, well, hey, 
come to church on Sunday and I want to gather the elders to pray over you. And during worship on Sunday morning, I look over and he's over there worshiping, his hands in the air. And all I felt was that the spirit was saying, hey, the entire body needs to know this. And I went over to him and I said, is it okay for me to share your story with the entire body? And he said, sure. I said, well, will you come up with me and share? And he's like, uh, sure. That's what, I have no boundaries, right? So, so um, uh, I, y'all, y'all have learned that over time, right? Yeah, if we spend time together, something may come out. So I, so I invite him up on stage and he begins to share his story and just says, hey, listen, I want y'all to know that I violated my parole and I'm about to go to prison and I just want you to pray for me. I'll never forget Deb Schwarzenbach sitting on the fourth row and she stands up and she says, I'll stand with you, Jonathan. And then all over the room, I don't know if you were there that day, but people all over the room, it was so emotional, stood up and said, I'll stand with you, I'll stand with you, I'll stand with you. And so Jonathan, a few weeks later, he's in prison for six months. And he would call me, he would only get, you know, a call a week or whatever. And he would call me and tell me about the Bible study that he had started. And how inmates are being discipled and they're following Jesus. And, and here's all I'm thinking. For most of us, we're in prison and we're angry. And instead of taking ownership of our mistake, we're blaming somebody else. And if I got one call, I'm calling my lawyer saying, hey, um, can we get the appeal process going? And instead, he's like, listen, I'm owning that, that this is a mistake that I made. And I'm gonna make sure that this is God's opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. By the way, he got out six months later. He's not married, and he's got his bachelor's degree in, in, in counseling addicts. God has done incredible things to redeem his story. Yeah, you can clap. Think about Joey Lignofsky. Many of you know Joey. Joey's got a physical disability, and uh, the next time he complains about it will be the first time because he sees his physical disability as a calling card for the gospel, so that people will know and understand Jesus. For you, being Christ means, being in Christ means this. You look at your circumstance as what God is going to do instead of complaining about what he has not done. Think about that in your life. How many times do you get upset with God because he's not moving the way you think he should? And then you begin to blame other people for what is not going on in your life instead of looking at it as this beautiful opportunity for what God's gonna do. How is he gonna use your chain to bring himself glory? Whoo, is that a convicting thought to anybody but me? Yes, suffering's a gift that nobody wants, Right? Okay, verse 14, let's keep moving. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So believers were inspired and emboldened by Paul's resolve during imprisonment. So the palace guard is moving throughout the palace guard and likely many of them are coming to faith, but the people that are hearing of Paul's imprisonment and his resolve to continue to share his faith in Christ and they hear about the letters that he's writing to the churches, it gives them courage and resolve that listen, if if Paul can do it and he's in prison, I'm free and I can do it. So this confidence is growing in this movement, faith without fear. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, once said, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Where did that start? The crucifixion of Jesus. So Remember, very simply, the reason that Jesus was crucified is because he was going against the power base at the time, right? He challenged the religious leaders and they wanted him dead. They challenged, he challenged the Roman authority. They feared an uprising. They wanted him dead. And so the crucifixion represented an end to Jesus's movement. How'd that work out for him? Do you realize that 2,000 years later, the reason that you're sitting here in this room is literally because of the shed blood of Jesus? 
that everything changed in that moment. And his blood became the seed of the church. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and then his dissension in the form of the Holy Spirit that everyone who says yes receives the spirit of the living God on the inside of them. Woo, that changes everything. And he says, listen, what I'm going through, it's nothing. We're seeing the palace guard turned upside down. We're seeing the people who are hearing about it. They are now moving more emboldened in the way of Jesus. Verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. So what's he saying? He's saying that there were some people that were jealous of Paul because Paul was one of the leaders in the early church. He was, he was the guy. People leaned forward when they got a letter from Paul. They knew, hey, listen, this guy had an experience with Jesus. He lives in incredible power and purpose, and I want to follow and align myself with him. Well, there were people that wanted the same thing. So here's the difference between these people and the people he was talking about in Galatians chapter one. If you look at Galatians chapter one, he is warning the Galatians about uh, false prophets and false teachers. And he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, now if I say it, now I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So let me say this to you, man, the whole word heresy is tossed around in the church today, right? Most of what we hear today is not false teaching. It's just arrogant people teaching it. And so um, there can be arrogant people that are preaching truth. And so for some of us, uh, we pour out the baby, we throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Well, you're arrogant, so you have no credibility. And yet what they're saying is true, just the way they're saying it is ungodly. And this is what he's saying. He's like, hey, some people that are envious and jealous of me are preaching the gospel. And then there are some that are doing it out of love, That hasn't changed a lot, has it? The spirit of competition in the church is alive and well in the church in the U.S. today. Churches competing for people, right? Everybody trying to one-up others. And uh, many of you have told me that one of the things you love is that we pray for a different church every week. And uh, we really try to go beyond that, man. We, we, wanna, we, we want churches to feel unthreatened by us, that we're partners together. And that's such a strong priority for us as a church. Yes. Can I confess something to you? Can I be vulnerable? Um, in my flesh, I want restoration to be great. In my flesh, I want us to be the most influential church in Montgomery. In, in, in my flesh, I want us to continue to grow. And some of it is for my own purposes. Why? Because I'm a guy, y'all. So think about it. If, if you are, I'm just gonna, just for the men in this room, we all struggle with identity, but as a man in this room, isn't it true that we find our identity in what we do? And that, that uh, success, the world's view of success is important to us. And so as we climb the corporate ladder and we get more accolades, that, that feels good to us. And so we have a, a standard by which we view the world through. And so, guys, I'm no different. In my flesh, that's what I want. It's the wrong metric. It's not what moves the needle in the kingdom of God. But I just want to confess to you that I'm a guy and in my flesh... I struggle with that. But I also want you to know this. My spirit reminds me every day that this is bigger than me. 
My spirit reminds me, the Holy Spirit of God comes to me every day when I get in the secret place and reminds me that this is not about me. The story of restoration is not something that I could have accomplished anyway. I'm not smart enough. I'm not innovative enough. God is on the move and God is, is the one that, that is the head over this church. And so every time that I kind of take matters into my own hands and try to do something on my own, it fails miserably. And so I need you to know that every day I have to go into the secret place and die to my flesh so that the spirit can get rid of me. Because I want you to know that every time I feel envious or jealous of another church, it just feels gross to me and I hate it. And I'm constantly bringing that under the submission and the authority of Jesus Christ because I don't wanna be that guy. And so if that's you, if you find yourself feeling the same way, if you've undermined somebody uh, in your business because you're trying to get a leg up and uh, you're trying to get the, permission, pr- the, the, the promotion that they're gunning for, just know this, I get it. It's wrong, but I get it. And the Holy Spirit is advocating another way. Amen. <laughs> He's saying, listen, there's more. There's more. So I, I just want to confess to you too, man, every time I say something like that, like I, I want to live transparently among you guys. And every time I say that, just know immediately the enemy is like, yeah, you just screwed yourself over there. <laughs> that will finally, that'll finally be the thing that'll send them out the door, right? And uh, here's the deal. This is God's deal, not mine. So we want to be for Meadow Lake Church. We want to be for Hope Church. We want to be for Lone Star Cowboy Church and First Baptist Montgomery, Fellowship of Montgomery and Freedom Church and Stonebridge and Woods Edge and Faith and The Crossing and all of these churches all over the earth, the church at Wood Forest. We want to be for all of them because here's the deal. When they win, the kingdom wins. And then he gives the why, verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. What a crazy perspective. He's like, listen, even if they are not motive-free, and know of this, know this, nobody in the room is motive-free. There is not a selfless person in the room. In fact, we don't gravitate towards selflessness. We gravitate towards selfishness, right? We want what we want when we want it. So nobody in here is selfless. Some of us are better than others, but at the end of the day, we all fall short. And he says, listen, as long as Christ is preached, that's the most important thing. He's saying that to people who are directly opposing and undermining him. That's humility. He's standing down. And in Christ, when we're in Christ, humility bubbles up. When we're in the flesh, selfishness, pride, arrogance bubbles up. So you know you. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers, And God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he believes in two things. He believes in the power of prayer and the provision of the spirit. So those two actually work together. The power of prayer and the provision of the Holy Spirit. Here's how they work together. For you and me, number one, prayer matters. Prayer matters. So some of you are like, well, if God's sovereign and he already knows what I'm gonna say before I say it, and he already knows my situation, then why pray? Because prayer shows dependence on God. It shows that you're in alignment with him. So when we confess something to God, it's not like he goes, wait, are you kidding me? How did I miss that? No, your confession reveals your heart that you recognize that it's wrong and now you've got some commonality with God to move toward the solution. 
uh, every day this week, uh, we're in the middle of a 21-day fast. Today's day seven. If you've not jumped in on it, you've got 14 days left that you can jump in and be a part of the fast. But every morning, we've gathered here at 6 a.m. Uh, every day this week. And on Monday, there were probably about 60 people here. I think we've averaged about 40 people throughout the week. And, and here's what I love. 40 or so people have gathered here every morning this week for one reason, because they believe that prayer matters. I mean, think about it. If you didn't believe prayer matters, would you get up and get dressed and drive to the church to spend time in prayer? No. But if you really believe that prayer matters, sometimes there's sacrifice that takes place because you believe that there is power in it. And I think back over 2021, God did some incredible things this year and I could go through and I could uh, tout successes that in the flesh would look really good. But here's what I wanna say to you. Anything good that happened in 2021 started in January when we were on our face before God for 21 days dedicating the year to him. Everything good comes from God. And anything good at restoration is a result of the power of prayer. But he didn't just acknowledge the prayers of the Philippians, but he acknowledged the provision of the spirit of Jesus. So what does that tell us? He was deeply in tune with the Holy Spirit. You can't know that the spirit is providing for you if you don't know the spirit. If you don't, if you're not in tune with the spirit of the living God that lives inside you, by the way, if you have said yes to Jesus and you're, you're really in tune with who Jesus is in your life, you've got to be in tune with the voice of God in your life because he is the one that guides you. He is the one that informs you. He is the one that convicts you. He is the one that provides for you the game plan for every day. And so here's how those work together. Because of your relationship with the Spirit, you get in the secret place every day and you don't just give a laundry list of things that you want from God, even if they're for other people. No, you get in the secret place and you say, Jesus, what is your plan for me today? Then you sit and you listen. And if you're not connected to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're gonna be very frustrated. And so you're like, well, I don't know what that's like. Get in the secret place and ask him to speak to you. But sit with a journal open, ready for him to speak to you. And there'll be thoughts in your head. People will pop into your head that you're like, oh, I hadn't talked to them in a while. That's the spirit saying, hey, you should probably call them. As you begin to say, God, what is your plan for me? You may hear forgiveness. Huh, who do I need to forgive? He's gonna give you somebody that you're not gonna wanna forgive. That's what the Spirit of God does. He begins to engage you about your life. Why? Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And it's part of the completion process that all he wants is your full attention. To say, listen, I need the Spirit in my life to inform me, and that's a powerful prayer, right? When he begins to talk back, it's a two-way conversation. And know this, the Spirit always points to Jesus and always provides the perspective I need in every situation, as long as I ask. And I said it earlier, but I'll say it again, you will not naturally gravitate toward Jesus. That is not where you naturally gravitate. You naturally gravitate towards self. So for some of you, this is a big light bulb. Write that down, right? You are not naturally going to become like Jesus. It doesn't happen by osmosis. If you sleep with your Bible under your pillow, you're not gonna wake up and be godly, <laughs> right? But some of us really believe that. You believe that it is your acts of righteousness that are moving you on a continuation toward Jesus. And he's like, uh, I mean, I don't really care about the good stuff you're doing. What I want is your heart. I want you in the secret place with me because you're doing a lot of things I never asked you to do. There's some other things I have for you that are on my priority list. So let's get to those. That's the provision of the spirit 
in your life. So now he's really drilling down. I eagerly expect and hope, verse 20, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will always have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Yeah, this is, this is getting to a point here. I want Christ to be exalted in my body in life or in death. Paul is saying he wants the courage to follow Jesus, whatever the cost, even if it costs him his life. Okay, so this is where we just don't get it. Because I doubt that anybody in the room today is gonna be executed for their faith, right? That is not the nation that we live in right now. It may happen every once in a while, I mean, we, we've heard over the last few years of people walking in and randomly shooting up churches, right? And so um, that happens, but it's not the norm. But know today, there will be hundreds of people in other places in the world that will die for their faith. They will literally be executed for their faith. And that's his call because remember, the context is the church at Philippi, the, the move of Christianity at this point in time if you follow Jesus, you're going to have your head chopped off, fed to lions, boiled in oil, crucified. You're, you're going to be killed in some brutal way for following Jesus. And he says, hey, listen, in life or in death, I want to have courage. So how do you process that statement? Because the question is not, whether you'll suffer for following Jesus, it's subjective, right? The question is, what is your faith costing you? What is your faith costing you? Are you willing to risk reputation to follow Jesus? Like take a stand on something that you're like, I know if I take a stand on this and not a political stance, not an angry rant on Facebook, but if you're willing to stand for truth based on his word, stand in a peaceful, loving way, are you willing to risk your reputation? Are you willing to be misunderstood? Are you willing to forgive the wrongs that are done to you that you don't think are deserving of your forgiveness? Are you willing to walk away from any pursuit that is keeping you from following Jesus? So that's kind of broad, but let me, let me kind of hone it in for you. Is there any habit, any action or activity in your life that you know doesn't honor God, but you're unwilling to give it up? Because you have dumbed it down to be acceptable? Now, this is where it gets real for us, right? I mean, we live in the most convenient nation on the planet, and I think it's real easy for us to listen to that and go, man, we want to pray for those poor people that are dying for Christ. Well, here's the deal. We all, if we really start following Jesus, we will suffer in some way because we're saying no to ourselves and yes to him. Yes. So I can make a list for you right now. I'm not going to make a list for you what you can watch and not watch. I mean, except The Bachelor and Bachelorette. That one I'm standing firm on, Right? <laughs> Right, so that's bad. Don't ever watch it. The rest of them you can kind of figure out, right? Doesn't take a rocket scientist. Um, I could throw Game of Thrones in there, but I won't. But uh, I, yeah, I just did. But uh, I mean, you think about it. Some of you are squirming right now. So can I just say, you know, I joke about the Bachelor and Bachelorette all the time, but I do want to say this. It is a picture of how broken we are in our world that people sign up to go on TV to win the affection of a person through gameplay to win them, to win whatever they think it is, and they don't even last anyway. I mean, how jacked up is that? And we have parties to celebrate that. getting hot in here. <laughs> hey, don't send me emails, right? I'm like Ricky Gervais. I don't care. <laughs> but seriously, what's your faith costing you? And here's the deal. You got to put it and sift it through this, through the words of, of God. 
What does God say about it? Because really at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what I say, except for the bachelor bachelorette. Other than that, it doesn't matter what I say. It's not about me. I think for a lot of us, you would love for me to make a list for you of what's acceptable and what's not. Because you don't want to take it to Jesus. You just want me to tell you. Guess what? That's called legalism. And I'm saying, hey, it's time for you to trust in the power of prayer and the provision of the Spirit in your own life. When I was a child, I thought like a child. But when I grew up, I put aside childish ways. It's time to begin to grow up in your relationship with God and take some personally respons- personal responsibility for your relationship with Jesus. It's between you and him. It's not between you and me. So again, don't send me emails, all right? I mean, you can if you want to buy me lunch. We can talk more about it. All right, so after the fast. All right, verse 21. Here's the key verse today. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. (laughs) To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, he's just doubling down on what he just said, right? He sees every opportunity as God's opportunity, not only the good stuff, but the hard stuff. And he's like, listen, my life belongs to Jesus. I am on mission. I'm willing to go to prison for it. I will do whatever it takes to see the way of Jesus spread. That means every physical challenge in your life, every health diagnosis, every financial setback, every time you're misunderstood, made fun of, everything in life belongs to Jesus. To live is Christ. But then he says, hey, to physically be in the presence of Jesus, to die would even be better. To him, death is not something to be feared. In fact, he's like, man, Death is looking pretty good right now. Since I started following Jesus, I've been beaten, shipwrecked, stripped naked. I've been in prison several times. I know that they want my head on a platter and I will die. And, and, and part of me was like, man, let's just get on with it. To die would be better. Again, death is not something to be feared as a follower of Jesus, if you're afraid to die, you're not really living. You're protecting. Uh, my mom uh, died of cancer in 2009. And uh, early in 2009, February, um, she went because she was having some, some challenges. And she had had cancer for about 18 months. But she went hoping that they were going to give her kind of some new medication to help her feel better. And what she found out after being in the hospital for 24 hours they said to her, I was in the room when they said it, and I was like, how dare you? Said, there's nothing more we can do. Go home and be comfortable. You've got about three months. Oh, I was so angry with the doctors that day because he was very matter of fact. He had no bedside manner, and of course, he does this every day, right? So we went home to get my mom comfortable, and I spent a few days up there helping my dad kind of get situated with her, and I crawled up in bed with her one night, we read the Bible together, and then um, I'm just laying next to her, and I've got my head on her shoulder, and I just said, so are you afraid? And she said, I mean, I'm either going to be with y'all or I'm going to be with Jesus. I can't lose. That's a picture of my mom. Godliest woman I knew. I'm 100% convinced and I'm standing before you today because of her and her prayers. But that was a picture of her life. Hey, listen, yeah, uh, I I, I know that I'm moving toward death, but I'm either gonna be with y'all or with Jesus. I can't lose. What perspective is that? And then look, he goes on and he says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I mean, think about that. He's like, listen, I've got two options. I can die and be with Jesus, which sounds like a steal of a deal for me right here, right now, or... I can stay alive because there's still work for me to do, but that's for you. 
Like it is to your benefit if I live because I can continue to pour into you and continue to help you be steadfast in your faith. But if I'm being honest, I'd rather go ahead and go be with Jesus right now. So what's he saying? His life was hard because following Jesus is hard, y'all. If you've embraced a theology where following Jesus is not difficult, then I promise you, you're not following Jesus because following Jesus is not easy. It's simple because it's basically listen to the voice of God and do what he says. That's really it, but it's not easy. Following Jesus is hard. Do you believe me? If you don't, listen to the words of Jesus. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew 8, 22, let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 10, 37, no, unless you hate your father, mother, sister, and brother, yet, yea, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Luke 18, 22, talking to the, uh, the rich young ruler, he says, hey, sell everything you own, give it to the poor and follow me. Matthew 6, 15, he says, if you don't forgive, your father in heaven will not forgive you. Luke 9, 23, if you wanna be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Luke 9, 62, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I could go on and on. Those are just a few of the things that Jesus said. Does that sound easy to you? No, to follow Jesus means death to yourself. It may mean that you will physically die, but it certainly means that it is no longer you, Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. It's a different life. Following Jesus is hard. It's worth it. It's a better way to live, but it's hard. And know this, it is impossible without him. Because all of the things that Jesus said he died to fulfill them. He died to give you access to them. He died so that he could live in you and give you the power to accomplish those things because he knew you could never accomplish them on your own. It's hard. Loving people is hard. Forgiving people is hard. Living selflessly is hard. Generosity is hard. And it is all impossible without Jesus. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in your faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I will remain for your progress and for your joy. And when I return, Jesus will get the glory. He fully believed that he would be out of prison and scholars believe that he did get out of prison in Rome and then ended up going back and he was executed there. And so he did see the Philippians church again. That's what many scholars believe. But even if he didn't, he's like, hey, listen, I, I'm, I, I'm moving forward with you in mind, but only with you in mind so that God can get the glory. All the glory goes to Jesus. It was never about Paul but all about Jesus. So as we close, what does it look like to say to live as Christ? There are four things I want you to think about as we go today. So here are the four things. Number one, in Christ, you see your chains as opportunities for God to get the glory. In Christ, you don't see your chains, your afflictions, your struggles as something to complain about. For, for some of you, when you think about the church, uh, we say all the time, we don't wanna be a cruise ship, we wanna be an aircraft carrier. And so I want you, when you think about the church even, when you, when you ask a question about the church and you're complaining about what the church is not providing, the question is this, is that cruise ship thinking or aircraft carrier thinking? Because remember, a cruise ship is all about meeting your needs. Aircraft carrier thinking is, what's going on out there that I need to be trained and developed for? 
So it's a new way of thinking. And, and, and for a lot of us, we see our chains, our afflictions, our disappointments, our hurts as reason to check out instead of saying, God, how do you wanna bring yourself glory in this situation? We're only reading this letter today because Paul had that attitude. Number two, in Christ, humility bubbles to the surface. Again, you don't naturally gravitate toward holiness. You don't naturally gravitate toward humility because humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. And only Jesus can help you do that. Only Jesus can help you move on a continuum where it's less and less of you and more and more of Jesus. You'll never have grace and forgiveness for those who oppose you without Jesus moving to the forefront. Number three, in Christ, I trust the power of prayer and the provision of the Spirit. And remember, those two work together. Prayer shows dependence on the power of God. And every day I get in the secret place and I give myself over to the voice of the Spirit to lead me, to guide me, to convict me, to provide for me everything that I need to live for that day. This is manna. It's collecting what you can for the day, knowing that it's only for the day. It spoils tomorrow. So you need to depend on the power of prayer and the provision of the Spirit every single day of your life. Then number four, in Christ, I recognize that life is impossible without Him. Death is actually the easier thing. You recognize that, right? To die would actually be an easier thing than to live the life that God has called you to live. It doesn't mean that you don't have deep joy, but if you're really living a life in Christ, it's gotta be costing you something. I've got a daily surrender to his will. But again, it's living from him and not for him. Those sound similar. And I know that we have one of the monikers in the church is I'm living for Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Living for Jesus means it's, it's very possible that you could be doing a lot of really good things that seem Jesus-like but you haven't gotten in the secret place. And so you're actually executing a plan that you've come up with and asking Jesus to bless. And there's a very good chance that you could go into the secret place and say, Jesus, look at everything I've done. And he's like, that's awesome. I never asked you to do any of those. Here's the assignment I have for your life. But you gotta be in the secret place asking him to get that. And that's living from him, that you receive from him and that you walk in obedience to it. You don't just do things that seem godly that may even be scriptural and you just are running off doing something without asking the spirit of God to inform you what he has to say about your life. 